0: You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church podcast. Tonight, I, um, even though it's my job, I do look forward to Sundays. You know, it's good to good to be out together, and, and good to have these opportunities to um, be able to meet each other and and just minister to one another. And we're trusting that um, once again, God will, God will do that. Isn't it an incredible mystery? That our God, the Living God, would would speak to us not only through His written words, send you a message and say, "Hey, I love you. I want you to find out about Me." It's the Bible; we have it. We can open it every day. But at times like this, would actually use mere humans, whether they're you know growth group leaders, teachers, preachers, would use people to actually speak through them. And actually, that'd be my prayer tonight, and well, every time I actually open my mouth, is that. Um, you hear from God, that the living God speaks right to your heart and uh, says something that I've got no idea what would be going on. Honestly, actually, I'd be one of the most clueless preachers in the world, seriously, a very, very undiscerning. But I know that God is good and His Holy Spirit is real. He knows exactly where you're at, what sort of a week you've had, what you're thinking right now, and what you need to hear from Him. And He loves to speak into that situation. So with that in mind, Heavenly Father, as we sometimes sing, "You're a good, good God. You, you only give good things to your children." Hey, if an earthly father knows how to give a moderately good gift to his child, how much more does the heavenly, or our heavenly Father know how to give good things to His children? We trust You. We're going to take You at Your word. We're going to believe Your promises, and we're going to believe that even tonight, through Your Holy Spirit, You would come and. And speak to each and every one of us and the beautiful thing is that you know each of us uniquely you know where we're at you know just what we need to hear so we're trusting you to do what you you do so often and come and speak to each of us a message from heaven a gift from the father words of life come and if you would like a special touch from from God tonight, to just hear a word just for you. Step out in faith. Be daring, audacious. Why don't just in the quietness of your heart, invite him to do just that? It could be just as simple as a little whispered prayer. Speak to me, Lord. Let it be, Lord, we pray, let it be, amen. Well, we're in a, if, if you are new this week, we're in a little, little mini-series. We're usually in a series of some description, aren't we? And and this one's just a little bit about a health check, kind of like pre-spring, a spring clean, if you like, but just a, yep, a spiritual health check, just kind of testing, seeing how, how are things are going. And there's a number of ways that we could, we could test that and just kind of do a, do a bit of a, a checkup. Um, the idea, perhaps, for, for this came to me, actually, uh, whilst our little little uh, missions trip, which are reporting back next week, and I trust you look forward to those, those testimonies, I am. But our, our little missions trip from EBC was over in Greece, joining another few hundred people, actually, I think the largest largest group yet. And uh, as as we all gathered around in the evenings, we would take some time out, and um, within um, translation into into Greek, we would we would have these evening sessions. And I was to speak on one of these sessions, and I was given a passage, which because of busyness and so forth, I actually didn't look at the verse that I was supposed to be speaking on until I was on the plane, and I I brought up the email and and opened it up and and. Uh, and my good, good friend, Jonathan McCreese, he was um, just saying, Stuart, I'd really like you to speak on this particular verse. And I had a look at the verse, and I thought, oh, boy. And he went on to say, because I want to hear what your take is on one of the hardest verses in the Bible. And I remember thinking, well, thank you. And actually, I was, I was looking at it. I was, I was only supposed to, interestingly, I was only supposed to speak on Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. And I remember thinking, how can you separate Verse 12 from thir- verse 13. Verse 13 happens to, and ah, spoiler alert, it's one of my favorites. We're going to get there tonight. But I remember, how can you kind of separate them out? And uh, it's, a, it's an injustice. And, and, and how am I going to handle that? And anyway, when we got there, it turns out one of the other speakers had to... Had to um, Uh, Counsel their session and couldn't make it um, due to illness. And uh, because of that, a bit of a reshuffle, Jonathan said to me, Well, what are we going to do? Would would you mind actually handling his session as well? Would you mind handling verses 12 and 13? And I said, Jonathan, I would love to. I would love to. And and, uh, and so, I, I guess uh, I, I spoke on that while I was over there, and, and this little series about a health check came to mind. I thought, you know what? I, th- I think that's that's something for us back at back at Altham. And what I want to share with you tonight is, I guess, in in some respects, that same message that that um, I I shared over there, but without the the translation. You know, many I, I shared then, and I'll, I'll share again. Many many years ago, we were. Um, we're on faith support, didn't have a lot of money. We really were wanting to go away on holidays. And so, a, so a friend of ours who, who happened to look after a school campsite in the middle of nowhere, I can't even remember where it was. I just remember it was up in the mountains, it wasn't by the beach. And, and when you got up there, up in the mountains, um, the thing I remember most was actually snakes everywhere. Red Valley, black snakes. It was just covered in snakes. And so with four young children, I guess we were kind of feeling, what kind of a holiday is this going to be? But anyway, we, we managed. And on one particular morning, Bron released me to grab one of the um, uh, mountain bikes and to go off for a ride. And I, and I went off for a ride. And I I was having, and I don't know if it was just because of that kind of little cycle of holidays, you know, where the first few days are just, I, we, we just call them our grumpy days. Um, you know, in a three week, three weeks of holiday, they say the first week's just grumpy week, but sometimes you don't have that long, so we just have to condense the grumpy time, but maybe it was grumpy day. I don't know what, but anyway, I I, I took off riding, and, and the idea was, I guess, just to to get out a little bit of exercise, but also chat with the Lord, and my chat actually wasn't going well. I remember just, just thinking to myself, you know, here I am, I can, and I can't remember how old I was, so I was. I was probably late 20s, early 30s or something, but, but I remember thinking that um, by now I, I, I would have thought that I'd reached peak spiritual maturity. And I hadn't. And I was kind of crying out to God. I was thinking, what's with this? So, You know, um, when am I finally going to be that spiritual giant that I'm supposed to be, I think? You know, um, where it you know, kind of you know, just got the whole thing down pat. And when am I finally going to be the man that I believe you have, you have called me to be and I, and I desire to be? And uh, I remember just having this little bit of a... Hissy fit, you know, kind of thinking, what's the magic number? Is it when you're 30, or is it when you're 40, or is it when you're fifty? When when do you finally reach that that sort of you know, that wonderful platform of spiritual maturity and kind of say, I've arrived, and okay, this was all a little bit naive, but but this was this was my little little chat with God. And and perhaps part of my reason for for actually thinking some of this is because of Well, verses such as the one that I was given to speak on, on this camp. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, Paul is writing to the Philippians, and he says, So therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, as a young man, I would read that verse, and I I would just think about this, you know, a huge burden of responsibility upon me to work out my salvation and to do so with with fear and trembling as well. And and well, I guess there was quite a bit of that. Um, and yeah, there I was struggling to, to nut this out. Okay, what else have I got to do to please you, God? The problem is, when it comes to salvation, I guess that there are, um, you know, we understand that there is that that saving act, which is God's alone, but there is that invitation to us to also respond, and so we we have verses such as Revelation seven ten. Now, this is an encouraged one. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And we kind of think, yes, he's our savior. Salvation does belong to the Lord. And there's Romans one six, a, a bit of a favorite. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for hey, it's the power of God unto salvation. Again, here is. Here is God's capacity, God's ability to save us. But then we have other verses which talk about, well, our response to that, the invitation we have to respond to God. We've got Romans 10:9. "If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so this is our response to the saving act of, of God. Acts 2:38. Peter preaching says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Again, here is here is this invitation to respond to the ability of God to to save you. And so we we have these these two two aspects going on. I, I guess some of the confusion can be explained by the fact that, well, when we think of salvation, sometimes we minimize it. We, we think of it as, as just a very narrow aspect of the whole of the work that God does in our lives. In actual fact, there are many dimensions to, to salvation, past, present, and future. In the past, in terms of God dealing with your past, there's, there's justification, there's redemption, and there's reconciliation in, in terms of the present state there is sanctification and in terms of in terms of your future state there is glorification and all of these are aspects of god's salvation work sometimes we narrow it down and in so doing we kind of kind of limit our understanding of what it is that god is doing so when we look at look at this this verse the one we're just just looking at in verse 12 there therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed it and my, my sort of paraphrase here: Whether I'm there or not, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is this is Paul's encouragement. And when he talks about um, uh, working out our our salvation, that's the, the first part of the the verse. Paul here is is talking about, and and the word can can mean to to work out to to perform to accomplish to fashion or render almost like a craftsman is is working on something and and here is Paul's invitation to to work out your salvation it's a very interesting one how can we understand it perhaps this illustration will help uh, some years ago another another holiday experience the whole family couldn't be there they were growing up and going their separate ways but but uh, a couple of the kids were there we were up on the new south wales coast house sitting somebody's house up there and and it was a contact through Christian Surfers, actually. Now, there was, in the garage, there was this whole bunch of surfboards there, very nice ones, and I was, you know, welcome to use any that I wanted. And I was thinking about the fact that, being on the board of, at the time, Christian Surfers International, my, my surfing credentials were actually well out of date. And uh, for the last few, you know, international conferences, I didn't go out with the boys because, in truth, I actually, I actually hadn't surfed since I was about 18. That was the last time I was standing on the board and had any sense of forward momentum. And so I kind of figured, you know, in my 40s now, hey, I better give this a shot. And there's what a what a fantastic opportunity. By myself, no one's looking. So I grabbed the longest and therefore easiest board there there was for just getting getting back onto the board. And I took it out, and it was a pretty crowded beach, but there was a little bit of a spot where I was able to to give it a shot and. And of course, there's a couple of ways, there's the, you know, just the, the swing your feet immediately underneath you and go straight up onto the board, or there's the onto your knees and then onto your feet approach, and, and uh, to be quite honest, I couldn't nail either of them. Those, those days were long behind me, I think. And I finally came into shore just utterly exhausted. I was not fit. I was just not capable of doing what it was I imagined that I had done when I was 18 and I was really literally just, just out of breath and puffing and catching my breath on the shore. And uh, just as I was in this recovery mode, this woman ran up the beach just sort of screaming at me. And, and, and I looked at her kind of a little, little bit confused and she started pointing out into the surf. And, and there was apparently a, a, a man who was her uncle um, drowning. And I looked around for the surf lifesavers and they were way up the beach. I looked around for anyone else who could help because I was seriously not in a good physical state. And I was, I was still really thinking, you know, I, I don't know if I can actually help. And uh, there was lots of people around, but nobody noticing him. There's all the noise of the beach and squealing and so forth. And there he was in a bit of a hole and his, and his head was going after, uh, under. And I thought, there's no time. I, I have to act. So I said, okay, I grabbed the board and, and shot up a prayer and, and paddled out to him. And uh, when I got there, I was out of breath before. Now I was seriously out of breath. Uh, but I managed, to, um, I managed to to just speak in a very, very calm voice to him and uh, reassure him things that I did not believe myself necessarily, uh, but such as, you're okay now. I'm here. You're going to be all right. And, and uh, I said, just grab a hold of the board. I'm not going to let you go. I've got you you're safe and and this huge relief just came over him and And he and he reached up for the board and it was just it was all that he could do to just hang on and I said take your time you're okay we're okay I'm gonna get you back to shore I said just hang on to the board just catch your breath you're doing all right and I just kept encouraging him and and so forth and slowly you could just see this relief come over him as he realized um, the words were actually true and that he was going to be okay he was sort of a little bit in shock seconds ago he actually thought he was going to die and now as he's hanging onto the board um, he realized he was gonna be okay he had enough strength to hang on and this stranger whoever he was seemed to be in control of the situation I was not at all but seemed to be in control of the situation and and he was saved. was he saved absolutely was there more saving to do? Absolutely. I still had to get him back to shore. That's actually why I wanted him to catch his breath, because it was going to take the two of us to be quite honest. I wanted to catch my breath, but, but I still actually had to get him back to shore. No, he was safe. I probably would have found reserves of energy had he even just slipped off the board. I probably would have found some reserves to kind of get him back up. He was safe. He was saved. But there was more saving to do. We still needed to get him back to shore, and 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 I guess when we think about our salvation, you can think about it in that aspect as as well. There is this past work of justification, redemption, and reconciliation that God has done in your life. You're good. Jesus has got you. You are in good hands. Much better hands than this guy was. You are in good hands. He has you now. You're saved. But is there more saving to do? Absolutely, he still has to get you from where you are today across the line onto that, onto that wonderful happy shore, where you will spend eternity with him. And so there is this, san- continuing work of sanctification in your life before finally you arrive at that sh- at the shore where, where you will also experience the final part, if you like, of your salvation glorification, where you will uh, will appear and, and reflect every attribute that belongs to Jesus Christ in its fullness. It's going to be a wonderful day. It's a beautiful thing that God is doing in your life and mine, and this is all part of, of his salvation work. And so Paul is essentially saying here, God's got you. Now, now hang on and keep hanging on. Hang on and keep hanging on. And I guess when we think about, well, what about our responsibility? The English word responsibility is made up of two words, if you think about it, you know, response and ability. Now, it's very easy to think about um, the word responsibility as, as our ability to respond, but from a christian perspective in this particular context i would urge you to think about it differently i would think i would urge you to think about it as your response to god's ability god is able to save you and keep you now trust him and respond to that through through obedience and you might feel that okay well hey what is that response to to look like well well here it is we're to work out our salvation and essentially that means obedience. It means obedience. Um, the, the clue to all of this is right at the start of this verse. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, whether, whether I'm there or not, continue to work out your salvation. In other words, Paul is linking the obedience of the believer with this working out of their salvation. As you have always obeyed, continue to do so. And in so doing, you will work out your salvation, Paul is saying. In fact, he's confident of their obedience. Um, he says, just as you have always obeyed. Paul is confident that, that the Philippians here have the capacity to continue to obey and, and in so doing, work out their salvation. Now, why? Why is he so confident? In chapter 3, verse 20, he talks about the fact that they are citizens of heaven. They had this new citizenship. Here, Paul is alluding to the fact that, um, as he says in, in other places, in Ephesians, we are, in this world, aliens and strangers. We're foreigners. We don't really belong in this world. Where is our citizenship? Where do we belong? Well, it's, it's in heaven. We, we belong to, Jesus would often talk about, the kingdom of God. We belong to a different kingdom. There are two kingdoms. We have crossed over from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Paul is confident of this in the case of the Christians there in Philippi. And because of this, he he knows because they belong to this new kingdom and there is a new rule and there is a new reign that Jesus is ruling in their lives that they are capable, they have been set free to obey. They are capable of obedience. They have crossed over from one kingdom to the other. Now we need to understand in this this little model, these two kingdoms, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, this world and the citizenship that we have in heaven, we need to understand these two kingdoms are in violent opposition to one another. You cannot dwell in both kingdoms. You are in one or you are in the other. There is no such thing as dual citizenship which kingdom are you in? in this case paul is confident that they belong to the kingdom of light and that their king is jesus and he is lord in their lives therefore they are free and capable of the obedience that god demands and by the word obedience it's it, it quite simply means and it's, it's a beautiful word to listen to hearken now hearken is a is an old word, isn't it? You probably think, oh, is that the, you know, hark, the herald angels? You know, hearken, what, is, what does that mean? It's, it's like a porter. Think about a, a servant in a household. There's a knock at the door. The servant that goes to the door and says, yes, who is it? And listens. That is, that's what it means, to hearken. That's the, that's the picture here of what it means to obey. In other words, you are you are listening, and as a result of what is said on the other side of the door, you will know what to do. If it's the master on the other side of the door and he says, Let me in, what are you going to do? Well, as a servant, you are absolutely. To hearken, to heed, to obey, simply means to be to be listening with a with an acute ear to to, to, to hear every word and then to instantly respond. Um years ago you Many of you know, I was, I was um, serving with Victoria Police and uh, not, not often, but on one or two occasions, I was what was called the 150 driver. The 150 was, was the, the code for the, the inspector. And, well, basically they got chauffeur-driven around and, and they had to have a driver. So every now and again you'd get rostered on. And, and I recall being the 150 driver on a, on a couple of occasions and, and sometimes it was a pretty boring shift, to be quite honest. You would drive the inspector to such and such location. He would go in for a meeting or for something or another and you'd just basically be twiddling your thumbs. We didn't have mobile phones in those days um, to, to play any games or anything. So you'd just be twiddling your thumbs, keeping yourself amused. But when he said... I need to, we need to go, you were there. You were listening. You were ready. You would act immediately. You couldn't delay. You couldn't say, oh, okay, let me just finish my coffee. You couldn't say, yeah, 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 before we go, help me with this crossword here. No, 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 there was no delay. There was no negotiation. You were at their beck and call. You were ready to go as soon as they said go. And you had to. You were always listening and ready to obey. Somebody said the secret to, to spiritual spiritual growth is lessening the time between sin and <laughs> repentance we are trying to get those closer so it's kind of sin <laughs> repent sin repent sin repent get, get, getting it closer and closer and closer that's 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 the secret to spiritual growth now, i guess you might say that if you thought about that sin and repentance bringing them closer together well in in terms of abiding in christ um that's how you would wouldn't you? You would restore the abiding relationship, making sure that you were aligned with God. Well, let me just suggest something else, similar, but 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 something else. What if the secret to spiritual growth was actually lessening the time between hearing and obeying? Hearing and obeying. Hearing obey. Hear, obey, hear, obey. That, rather than restoring the abiding relationship, would be the would be to deepen the abiding relationship. The by, abiding in Christ would just go deeper and deeper and deeper, and until that alignment with God, that union and unity that you had with God was just just this beautiful, deep, intimate fellowship, one continuous experience with with no delay between hearing and obeying. The secret. To spiritual growth, hearing and immediately obeying. What is it you're saying, God? Opening up his word and reading for the first time about, about rejoicing and thinking, okay, well, how often do I rejoice? What does rejoicing mean? Would you please teach me, Lord? What does it mean to rejoice? I go throughout my day. I find a situation that just has me singing the blues, and I kind of think, okay, wait on. I can turn this around. I'm commanded to rejoice. How do I find joy in this situation right now? I'm commanded to hear and obey. I can't be just a hearer of the word. We need to be hearers and doers of the word. How do you want me to experience joy in this situation, Lord? And and it doesn't mean, by the way, if that joy is coming from you, if it's a true joy, a real joy, it doesn't mean somehow, you know, that that I have to be unreal about my circumstances. To be quite honest, my circumstances might stink I might be experiencing great sorrow, but the joy that comes from God means that the two can coexist. I can be in circumstances that are not ideal and yet experience the joy of the Lord. Isn't that incredible? God commands me to do so. Lord, teach me how to rejoice. It might be, listen, I want you, I want you to share your faith. It might be, I want you to, I want you to. You you know um, show kindness to this person. I want you to I want you to give generously. I want you to make time for this situation. I want you to whatever it might be, reducing the time between hearing and obeying. That could just be the secret to spiritual growth, and I believe that's what Paul is saying here. As you have always obeyed, keep obeying, and as you do, you will be working out your salvation now remember here that paul is confident of their ability to do this and it's an upbeat letter in fact um in chapter chapter 1 verse 6 this is the introduction paul is saying you know i give thanks for you guys i'm just thrilled to bits with you this is one of his warmest and most affectionate epistles and he says "I, i am actually confident of this that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of christ jesus Wow, there's a real confidence in Paul. I got you. I've saved you, and I'm gonna get you to the shore. I am confident of this. He who began a good work in you is going to see it through to completion. Paul is upbeat, he's confident about this. Yet, here we are trying to trying to understand what does it what does it mean to be obedient to god and and if that's all our responsibility this is obedience you know then it then it comes back to it again it's a little bit of a a sobering message where's the reassurance where's the good news here well here here it is i believe in in verse 13 look at this verse 13 well let's let's read it from verse 12 again therefore my dear friends as you have always obeyed whether i'm there or not continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling here, here's the good news, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Now, this is, you can see why it's just one of my favorite verses. Isn't that beautiful? It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. In other words, we can we could say it this way, working out our salvation essentially means obedience, which God enables us to do. It's it's not, it's not good works. You're not by yourself in this. This you know the, your capacity to enjoy all that God has for you is not up to your own um, your own ability. No, it's God's ability that is at work in you. It is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill His His good purpose. What I love about this, why I love. I love so much. I love the fact that the God is helping me to do, to be obedient. Well, that's fantastic. But what about those times where, you know what? I'm just, I'm in stubborn refusal. I just don't, I don't feel like I want to obey. I don't feel like I want to do that. I don't feel like talking to that person, doing this or doing that. Or, uh, and I'm a little bit suspect. Does God really know what is good for me? And so on and so forth. I can play all of those games as good as the next person. But you know what? In those, in those moments, if I'm honest with God, where I say, oh, God, I know you're asking me to do this, but I've got to be honest. My will I'm, I'm, its just not in it. My will is weak. I just don't feel like or don't even want to do what it is that you want me to do. Well, how beautiful and how merciful and how patient and kind of God to say, that's okay, Stewie. You know what? I'll help you with your will as well. I'm going to help you. I'm going to help you to do it. I'm going to help you to will it. How good is that? Isn't that great? That is fantastic news. And so I guess going back to that little devotional time on my bike ride. I got off my mountain bike and was having my little hissy fit with God. And come on, where's the power? And he led me to Ephesians 1.20, actually. I said, well, what do you reckon, Stu? Do you reckon I've, I've got it in me to help you through this thing? And I discovered in my devotional time on that occasion this incredible promise Ephesians 1 18 to 21 I pray that the eyes of your heart Paul is praying for the Christians there in Ephesus and circular letter those around I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe now that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. What is this saying? How was this encouraging? It's saying this, it's so beautiful, so simple that, that, that Paul is saying, I want, you know, your heart. It's got eyes, and I want those eyes to be open, the eyes of your heart. I want you to see what I see. I want you to see this. I want you to see this glorious inheritance that you were called to. So often in this life, we can just think Christianity is this, well, it's kind of nicer, just slightly nicer life than the bad life of those who are just caught up in the world system. No, 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 no. There is this amazing, glorious inheritance awaiting every single one of God's children. If you are God's child, this glorious inheritance, it's yours. And Paul is saying, I want you, your eyes, the eyes of your heart to be open so that you can see how amazing this is. This is an incredible deal. This glorious inheritance that God has for you, and not only that, but his incomparably great power. There's nothing you can compare it to. Incomparably great power for those of us who believe. Now, how big is that power? How immense is that power? How great is that power? That power is the same power that God exerted to raise Jesus Christ from the dead and then to ascend him and seat him at the right hand in charge and authority over all things and give him the name that is above every other name. That is incredible power and that power is available to you and to me. That's the power that he uses when he sanctifies you. You might say, well, I'm just kind of a bit of an ordinary guy. I don't have a lot of power at my disposal. Cool, because God's got everything that you need. He's got the same power, and he is ex- willing to exert that in your life to do this wonderful work of making you holy just as he is holy, and he is willing to exert that in your life And the demonstration that he's got the ability to do so is the fact that Jesus Christ is risen and ascended and seated at the right hand of God. I mean, is that enough power for you? I think it'll do the job. I think it'll get you to the shore. I really do. That power, believe it, that power is available to you and to me. It is incredible promise, an amazing promise. We are so often, I guess, caught up in our ability to live the Christian life. And we have to correct that thinking. Watchman Watchman a nee, uh, saint from China, um, was written, Why well, I think it'd be next to the Bible. It's one of the classics, next to the Bible, the, the book that every Christian should read, The Normal Christian Life, amazing insights and watchman Nee simply writes about the necessity for us to be dead and not think that somehow we're going to do this thing by ourselves but for us to be dead so that Christ can live within us galatians 2:20 this would be what he's basing it on and we looked at this verse last week i have been crucified with christ Boy, we've visited this verse so many times this year. Hopefully, you're just about there to memorizing it. It's amazing. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but Christ who lives within me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've been crucified with Christ. you have been crucified with Christ. When did you die? When did I die? A couple of thousand years ago, actually. Before I was born, I died. I was crucified with Christ. That day, I joined hands with Jesus and said, I'm in. I became in Christ. His death was my death. And his life is my life. It is now Christ who lives with in me. It's Jesus who is living the Christian life in me. This is not Stuart Hunt trying to overcome and just say, just a little bit more power, Lord, please, please. Stuart trying to overcome sin and sinfulness and so forth and to obey, working out my salvation. Um, look, at, look at this quote from Watchman Nee. For God's way of deliverance is altogether different from man's way. Men's way is to try to suppress sin by seeking to overcome it. God's way is to remove the sinner. Many Christians mourn over their weakness, thinking that if only they were stronger, all would be well. But this is altogether a fallacy. It is not Christianity. God's means of delivering us from sin is not by making us stronger, but by making us weaker and weaker. God sets us free from the dominion of sin, not by strengthening our old man, but by crucifying him. Not by helping him to do anything, but by removing him from the scene of action. For years, maybe, you have tried fruitlessly to exercise control over yourself, and perhaps this is still your experience. But when once you see the truth, you will recognize that you are indeed powerless to do anything, but that in setting you aside altogether, God has done it all. Such a discovery brings human striving and self-effort to an end. God, in times past, has already included you in Christ. When he died, you died. When he lived, you lived. So all of that power that we're just talking about in Ephesians 1.20, is not somehow to make the weak you stronger. No, you're dead, remember? All of that power which God exerted at that time is the power of Christ now living in you and living his life through you. That's the promise. That's the reassurance that you have of being victorious in this life. It's it's like now that Christ is is living living in you it's it's like a compass needle um that compass needle is always drawn to magnetic north and like a compass needle that is always drawn to mag, that that magnetic attraction to north likewise assuming there's no interference in your life sin and so forth likewise you, the default you, Jesus in you, will be irresistibly drawn to godliness because that's his character. Think about it. Can, can Jesus be otherwise? No. No, he, he is God. The default setting now, this magnetism in your life, is Jesus living in you, always pointing to truth and to godliness. That's him. work in you just remember it wasn't you on the cross and it isn't you who lives the christian life in essence what god is calling us to do is to be true to who you already are god working internally to enable us to work externally that external obedience i hear i want to obey that external obedience god is working internally to enable you to do just that. God is working internally to enable us to to work externally. This is Paul's theme, actually, all the way through Philippians. This is sort of no shock or surprise. In chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, Press on to take hold of that for which Christ took a hold of you. In chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Let us live up to what we have Already attained. Simply put, we are to trust and obey. Trust and obey. Now, if you're over 40 years of age, that will remind you of a hymn: trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. It's a very, very simple, simple little little hymn and simple words, but it's quite profound. Firstly, we're choosing to trust in the ability of God, choosing to trust in the ability of God to get us through, and then we're learning to obey, to cooperate with that ability, to respond to the ability of God in a cooperative fashion to help him accomplish his aim in our life. Choose to trust, learn to obey, and be reassured that he is able. Trust and obey. I wonder if tonight, I'd be surprised if an audience this size, I'd be surprised if it wasn't the case, but I wonder if tonight there is an area, someone here has an area in their life that is deeply, deeply troubling them. They they feel on the one hand the, the pull of God, and on the other hand, they feel the pull of the world. And it could be an, an area of I don't know. It could be an area of resentment. It could be an area of sin. It, it could be an area of unforgiveness. It could be, it could be many things. It could be a, a hunch that God is calling you to do something or another. But whatever it might be, and well, you'll know, whatever it might be, I wonder if bit by bit the deceiver, the one who whispers lies into your life, I wonder if bit by bit that that little lie that this can never change. This will always be this way. That you will never be able to overcome this sin. That, that you will never be the person that you long to be and feel called to be. Was one of the lies that I was wrestling with many years ago. I wonder if that has become like just a firstly a little bit of a gap but then a deep deep chasm and then an overwhelming canyon as far as the eye can see as deep as deep as you can you can gaze. It feels overwhelming and sometime or another you've believed that lie. you believe that lie of Satan that you're not going to be able to overcome this. You're insufficient for the task. God isn't big enough. There's not enough power. Christ is not fully resident in you. Whatever that lie might be, I wonder if you've given a little bit of room to that lie. And God would like to deal with that tonight. Let's close our eyes. Let me lead you in a little bit of a prayer here. And if God is speaking to you about hmm, a little bit of a, a foothold that the evil one seems to have in your life, a relationship that can't be fixed, whatever it might be, firstly, you need to recognize that that is a lie. Because to limit God in any way at all, when you think about his omnipotence, that he is all powerful, anything that limits God, think about it, it's got to be a lie, right? So in your life, whatever that is, let's call it out for what it is. It's a lie. That is a lie of Satan. God cannot be limited, he is all powerful. We know that is true. We believe it to be true. That chasm, that canyon before you that seemed so impossible, picture it now, the love of God pouring into it, filling it, pouring into it abundantly and filling the entire the entire canyon, like a lake, like an ocean. Now picture Jesus effortlessly walking towards you across that, to take you by the hand, to take you across that water, and get you safely to the other side, safely to the shore. It's what he loves to do, it's his job, it's what he does best. He's very good at it. You're in good hands. And as he lives within you, he will finish what he began. The love of God. That we might know the height and the depth and the length and the width. That we might know the abundance of his love like an ocean that fills the canyon and can be easily crossed just like that. That's our Jesus. That's your Jesus. You can keep your eyes closed if you like. I'm going to end with a beautiful little benediction from the book of Jude, actually, and many of you will know it. The amazing thing about this benediction is if you... If you read the book of Jude, Jude is writing to a very difficult situation. There's a lot of deception. There's a lot of untruth. There's a lot of stuff going on that's just not good. But Jude is confident that God will have the victory. And he's confident of those to whom he writes that they're going to get through this. And so he finishes with this benediction, and I finish with this as well. Now to him who is able to keep you, able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.